Cycling Tips Podcast. Je m'appelle Kelly. C'était étape 1 du Le Tour de France de 2021. It's very fact <laughs> with a painting of wine glasses in the background. Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast. We are here at the Tour de France. These are our Tour de France daily episodes, and we're going to talk about stage one as well as La Course. I'm Abby Mickey. I'm joined by Ronan McLaughlin here on the ground with me. Bonjour. And Kaylee Fretz, clearly. Uh, hello, Abby. I'm sorry that I'm not on the ground there with you, but uh, frankly, that was a stage to watch on television. That was just insane today. Uh, I was sitting here watching with some friends and family, and there were multiple gasps throughout the day, which is sort of what we've come to expect from the first stage of the Tour de France, but nonetheless, unfortunate to see. Yes, it was a crazy stage, and between the first stage of the Tour and La Course, we've got a ton to dig into today. But before we get to that, this episode is brought to you by Continental. As we all know, Continental has long been the tire of choice for the professional teams. At this year's Tour de France, no less than six World Tour teams will ride Continental tires. Arkea Samsic, Baja, Baja Rain, Bahrain Victorious, Groupama FDJ, Ineos Grenadiers, Movistar, and Intermarche Wanty Gobert Materia, Materia, French, Materiaux? Materio. Materio. Materio? Yeah. That should just be O-O then. So I don't know why there's I-A-U-X, <laughs> not the point. <laughs> We may be in France, but each of these teams will be relying on Continental's legendary German precision and quality. Whether it's a day for the punchers, the sprinters, the TT specialists, or the GC favorites, they will rely on a mix of rolling resistance, grip, puncture protection, and speed that Conti tires can give them. Thank you so much to Continental for sponsoring this episode and the whole Tour de France. We're going to have some really fun stuff from Continental coming up, some giveaways Ooh. wink wink so stay tuned don't skip the ads you might skip some free stuff the one thing that i've been seeing time and time again at this tour so far and i know i'm supposed to be on the ground catch, capturing like tech and new bikes and stuff but the one thing i've seen time and time again is the continental it looks like a, a heat patch or something that the tour de france skoda cars have on their tires and it's just like it's it's to highlight the continental on the tires mm. and i want it on my van <laughs> it looks so good it's just big bold orange continental logo i need it i want it i'm sure we can get you one. i have to have it okay we'll get you one uh, say no more when i say it i mean for them one for each tire uh, maybe wow you that's one. that no, is bold exactly. all right probably five when you include the spare wheel okay well <laughs> We'll get right on that. Should we get on with the podcast here? Probably. All right. I think we should start with the course. It was the first race of the day. The women were up at the behind crack of morning for the race this morning. 5.30 a.m. on the bus for this morning's 8.20 start. So early morning for the women, but the race was so exciting. It was a 
the course was a lot more challenging than I think we anticipated on the freewheeling podcast. It turned out while we were watching the race that the entire thing was either up or down. They were either climbing or they were descending. There wasn't a second of reprieve the entire race. And from pretty much five kilometers in, women were getting spat out the back of the race. It was pretty fast all the way to the circuits in Leverneau. And once they got there, did one time up the finishing climb that the men did today and then three circuits. So they hit that finishing climb that the men did four times. If you were watching that climb and you were like, oof, this climb looks hard while well, the women did it four times. So the race came down to a little bit of a stalemate in the final. There was a lot of attacks from the top riders. Kashini Madoma on a Vanderbregen made a really nice attack. Uh, Cecilia Utrecht-Ludwig really set off the attacks, but in the end, it came down to a small, small bunch sprint. Demi Vollering took an impressive win over Cecilia Utrecht-Ludwig and Mariana Voss. So Sile out sprinting Voss, which is impressive, very fascinating. Yep. And uh, all in all, a pretty good race. Probably the last LaCourse we'll ever see. Which is uh, good or bad or I don't know. I think, Abby, you did some you did some reporting on that as to whether the riders in this race were happy or sad that it would was likely the last one. What was the what was the consensus or was there a consensus? Yes. When asked uh, how she felt about this potentially being the last LaCourse, Lizzie Dagnan said, well, let's hope so. So <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. And it's not because the riders don't love this race. I mean, yes, I've mentioned before the controversy. There is controversy. The women have always wanted a stage race and we've been handed this one day event that's kind of just a parade. And the race is always exciting. It's always a good race. The finish today was a little bit lackluster, but the three kilometers to go till 300 meters to go was very exciting. And it's it's always delivered, but that's, you know, how the women roll. That's how they that's how they always race. And so it was at the end of the day, the women just wanted a stage race. And that was what was promised from the beginning was that it would be built upon. Of course, would be built upon. And after eight years, they finally announced this stage race. And I think the vast majority of the women's Peloton is so excited for this stage race that if LaCourse goes away, it's kind of like, well, sweet. We'd rather have the eight day stage race. <laughs> In ASO's defense, you know, it doesn't... It, it, it takes at least eight years to figure out how to how to create a stage race, right? It's not like they've ever done one before. No, they've never done a they've never done a bike race before. Yeah. Honestly, I'm super impressed that they were even able to pull off the one day, given that they've never put on a bike race before. A for effort. A for effort. <laughs> C minus for execution. I give them a B minus for effort, actually. <laughs> but I do have a little bit of uh, audio from Mariana Voss, who came in third, and she was pretty disappointed. I honestly, she, she isn't that often openly disappointed in her results. I think that she's just such a positive person in general that it was, it was a little bit, um, a little bit different to see her down about the result today, but she's definitely excited to go to Tokyo with Demi Vollering as her teammate. So should we hear what Voss has to say? We should.
well, well, of course, in the end, when you tried your best, you can't be too unhappy. But um, at first, I was a little, little disappointed uh, crossing the line, and I, I, I knew I didn't really do or make any big mistakes. And when they meet, then it's faster at the line, and it is how it is. And it's, it's a very nasty, <laughs> nasty last climb. So it's not a sprint as you as a normal normal sprint as you would expect. Well, of course, such a, such a talented talented rider. Um, and um, well, after Liège, Le Bastogne Liège, and uh, winning here, um, it's it's fantastic to be to be lining up with her alongside Anna van der Bergen and Annemiek van Vleuten. I think it's a, it's a very strong team, and we still know. I mean, it's still a race that has been has to be raced, and it's going to be hard. So um, yeah, we really want to show our Dutch uh, nation there and our Dutch colors. We've nicknamed you the Killer Bees. Because <laughs> your uh, surnames all start with V. Yeah, yeah. How's the team? How's the new team this year going? From you've been with the same organization for so long, and now yeah. you're on a new squad. Yeah, I'm very happy. I feel feel very comfortable in this in this new team, and it's a very uh, high quality, high standard team. Um, so being part of that, and yeah, we're all of course we're all proud wearing this. Well yellow and black <laughs> i mean that's the killer bees uh, yeah <laughs> and um yeah so for yeah for me it's it's nice to be in this new environment to have this this fresh uh, people around me and yeah we're all happy to to race and to be up front and showing our colors and this the, the yellow and black what's next um zero and then olympics tokyo yeah sweet well thank you so thank much and good luck at the Giro. thank you For more on the course, including some audio clips from Demi Vollering and Cile, Cecile Utrup Ludwig, check out the Freewheeling podcast on Monday. It'll be out. Let's move on. Let's move on to the, the Tour de France. Stage one of the Tour de France, always a just bonkers day. There's three things that are guaranteed in life, and that's death, taxes, and crashes on the first day of the Tour de France. <laughs> what looked like it was going to be a pretty straightforward run into a three kilometer long climb into a Matthew Vanderpool, Julian Alaphilippe type finish turned pretty sour when a fan standing on the side of the road uh, was showing the video camera their sign instead of looking at the looking to where the riders were coming and took down most of the peloton. So that happened. Yellow jersey is now on the shoulders of Julian Alphilippe. We talked about this yesterday. This was a likely occurrence. Matthew Vanderpool did not win the stage, even though he was sort of the heavy favorite for this one. He had said after the race that basically just didn't have the legs. Uh, That's a direct quote from the post-stage interview. So we've got Julian Alphilippe with yellow. Probably going to be able to hold on to it for a couple days. Potentially even longer. I think we learned a couple years ago not to underestimate Mr. Alaphilippe. And and I think I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast as well, that this kind of felt like the whole point of the way that ASO designed this first week is you, you, you set the race up with a stage like this so that one of the popular riders in the peloton ends up in the yellow jersey. You're almost guaranteed that, right? In a sprint finish, maybe you're not fully guaranteed that sort of one of the really popular riders of the race is actually going to end up in yellow. If you do one of these really hard, short, punchy, uphill kind of finishes. There's only so many names that are really in the running for that. Alaphilippe is one, Vanderpool, Wout van Aert, etc. 
they knew that they were going to get a, a worthy and popular first deal of Jersey. And that's exactly what they got. We're going to talk in a little bit about the GC picture, which, you know, we weren't really expecting to, to have GC sort of shake up on day one. I think I mentioned that the, the expectation was sort of small time gaps throughout the field. But as Abby just was talking about, we had two massive crashes uh, in today's stage, the first of which was caused by a fan with a cardboard sign at about 47K to go, I believe. Uh, there's video of that floating around all over the place. I know that we've tweeted it out. It's in the story. We've got a story up on the site. If you haven't seen that, it's, I mean, it's terrible. It's, it's someone's facing the wrong direction with a cardboard sign looking at the TV cameras. The, the sign says, um, it's Ale, what, like, Oma and Opie, like, basically Grandma and Grandpa. Go Grandma and Grandpa <laughs> is the sign that, that she is holding. And unfortunately, that took down a large swath of the Peloton. A bunch of riders hit the deck there, took a while to get back up. We, at this point in time, we should say that we're recording basically right after the stage. We don't know exactly the extent of those injuries. We'll probably find that out over the next couple of hours. So keep an eye on cyclingtips.com for that. But then later on, was it just outside of, it's like five or six kilometers to go? We had just a classic Tour de France, stage one, stress, touch of wheels, and a massive, massive crash that ended up taking down even more riders, including a whole bunch of GC favorites. So the situation we're in right now, a popular yellow jersey, a popular stage winner, and already a whole pile of GC, not really favorites, but contenders who are, well, the race is pretty much over on that front. Before we get into the GC stuff, though, let's talk a little bit about Philippe. That was the most impressive. No, I wouldn't say second most impressive thing I've seen him do on a bike. The first most impressive being his solo stage win that, that gave him yellow a couple years ago, where he was off the front for was it 35 or 40 kilometers. Uh, when he went at two-ish, 2.2 kilometers to go, did either of you think that he was going to make it to the finish line? He went pretty much at the exact point where Sila attacked in the women's race, and she granted different style of riders, but that's still, from that point, it's such a long drag to the finish. At that point, he'd, he was on the steepest parts of the climb. From there, it gets a lot more gradual, and actually, the final 500, 300 meters is, is like a false flat downhill. So I thought for sure watching that, that especially the head on view, which is always, I'm never, it will never cease to confuse me, the head on view. But I thought for sure he was going to get brought back once the climb kind of petered out a little bit and wasn't as steep. And the more powerful riders that were behind him, I mean, at one point Roglic was going, was going after him. Matthew Vanderpool came up that climb like he you know, there was a donut at the top and he was going so fast at one point. And I thought for sure, Julian Alaphilippe has gone too early and he's not going to hold it. But he uh, he brought both of his twin brothers today. All three of them took all three of Julian, Alan and Philip to take that win today. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. I was waiting for it. I was wondering how you were going to work it in. And I, I think it was nicely done. I think it was nice. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Brushes off the shoulders. <laughs> it was. I think it was just a, 
incredible attack. Like I, I don't think any of us expected him, you know, to put on such a demonstration today. Especially when he when he moved clear, we all sort of thought, you know, who's going to follow him or, or whatever. And I think actually, Abby, you touched on something significant there, and that you know, not to take away from Al Philippe's performance at all. That as I said, that attack was just <laughs> insane. But we we first of all seen Pogaccia react which, you know, got us all excited. We were right up off our seats. But then we had Roglic almost mark Pogaccia. And I think when the two of them sort of, you know, momentarily looked at each other, uh, that slight stall there, uh, those are probably the only two riders today that could have matched Al-Philippe. And, and had they been right on him, perhaps it's a completely different story in the finale. But, you know, he was he was gone at that point. Then there was a stall. And, and Vanderpool at that point is maybe the only rider who can go across and, and just didn't seem to have it to do that uh, in today's finale. I thought the the two Slovenians kind of marking each other out of that was a really interesting dynamic because I think that's something we're going to see throughout the rest of the race. And quite crucially, I think it is the dynamic that if anybody else wants to win this Tour de France, they have to take advantage of, right? If you are Ineos and you want to win this Tour, granted, we're going to talk a little bit about GC picture in a bit. They're, they're down two of their four GC riders already, but they still have two. If you want to win this Tour de France, you're, you're going to have to take advantage of that dynamic and take advantage of those two riders marking each other out of this race if that continues to happen throughout the rest of the rest of the, the three weeks. Are you guys all right over there? Yeah, we just saw the DNF list and the Lithuanian national champ DNF. Ignatis Konvalovas. Yeah, oh. he, he went down really hard in that second crash he was one of the ones whose bike just like did a flying over oh no mm. and just last on the stage was mark solaire who has just you know come out of the giro following a heavy crash and now seems to be in some scenario finishing 24 minutes down on today's stage oh brutal well Alaphilippe Philippe is amazing we love him in the yellow jersey. I think everybody everybody really does. And it's going to make for a good first week. Uh, like I said, he should be able to hang on to it for that, that for a little while. Let's get into the GC picture and specifically who went down today. Because I think that that is that – the, that's the big story of today, right? As much as we love Julian in yellow, the big story is how many riders hit the deck in the last 50K between those two crashes – one of which was was absolutely fan caused and and horrible, and the other of which was just a racing incident. I mean, it was a touch of wheels near the front of the race. They're going fast, and and that stuff just happens, particularly on courses like you get today and in this first stage of the Tour de France, where everybody is just really stressed out. So, to run through the GC picture at the moment, we've got Philippe in the yellow jersey. Roglic, 14 seconds back. No big time loss. Haig, Kelderman, Pogacar, crucially. Gadu, Molima, Garen Thomas, Chavez, Bilbao, Enric Mas, Uran, Quintana, Nibali, I don't know why, I don't really know why I'm including him, and Fuglesang are all 18 seconds, <laughs> are all 18 seconds back uh, on Philippe. So basically, Roglic, Pogacar, Uran, who I think is kind of a dark horse for the podium, Garrett Thomas, those guys are all still in the mix, you know, a couple seconds here or there. Carapaz lost a couple more seconds. Probably worth just pointing out that usually when we have, you know, a bit of misfortune from a GC writer, it's Thomas, Uran, and Fuglesang 
that we're that we're talking about, and the three of them are in the front group today. So let's give them. In, you know, I, I know there's a huge long chuck involved, or a huge long chuck. <laughs> <laughs> the Tour de France has broken me already. A huge chunk of luck involved, but the three of them did make that front group. They were obviously well positioned coming into the, before that final crash. There. I mean, the key to missing both of those crashes was just riding on the left side of the road, because <laughs> both of them happened on the right side of the road. And if you happen to be over there, there's just not a whole lot you could do. So to continue down this list, we've got Carapaz in 23 seconds back. So he is also still very much in the mix. Uh, and then we get into the guys that are are really in trouble already. We've got a minute 59 back, almost two minutes back. O'Connor, Lopez, Manuel Buchmann, Kreiswick, Guillaume Martin. So Shadi will be very sad. 226 back. We've got Richie Port. So that is a huge, huge dent on his... Uh, sort of overall efforts quite early on here. Simon Yates at 327, although Yates has said that he's mostly going for stages. And then we have the sort of your race is over crowd. Valverde, Dan Martin, Teo Gegenhart, all 543 back. McNulty for the American fans out there at 707 back. Mike Woods, our favorite Mike Woods, 859 back. Chris Froome, granted, again, not really a GC contender coming into this, but still a bummer, 1447 back. He rolled across the line with some teammates, looked quite injured, took a long time to just get going again, and it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if we see him not in the race sometime in the next few days. And then Sepp Kuss. At 16.39 back, another rider who was not really a GC contender, but I don't know. As American fans, we like to sort of see him up there, and he's already almost 17 minutes back. So a, a, a large collection of sort of second and third tier GC contenders who lost quite a bit of time today. Specifically Ineos, I think. You know, they came in with this sort of four rider, the fork, right, we're calling it. And they come out of it with, with a two dent, a, a, what do you, what do you call it? I don't know what a two, two options. <laughs> they lost Tay Gagenhart at really, and Richie Port, mm, Port, Prong. Port. They have a broken fork. They have a broken Prong. fork. Port is not done, right? 226 back. He's not done, done, but that's going to be difficult to recover from. And sort of effectively, he becomes a less useful tool for that team to use in their attempts to sort of break up that Slovenian duo, right? So a, a highly consequential first stage from the GC perspective, also a highly consequential stage, likely from a just lots of riders covered in road rash perspective. And so we will find out over the next couple of days, which of those riders cross the line, but are, you know, maybe in trouble from a longer term perspective. I'm almost thinking, you know, that Port really isn't out of it at all at the moment and that's, you know obviously you don't want to lose time but if you're to lose if you're you know if you had to lose time at 229 he's almost at the point where you know maybe not quite lost just enough yet um but where you know if he was to go on a, a long ranger in the mountains which was going to be his only option anyway with the the leaders that they have there in thomas and and carapaz he's almost at the point where he's more likely to be given a bit of leeway perhaps uh no we're a long way from the mountains just yet but yeah i, I still think uh, at at over five minutes certainly 
Theo Gegenhart, you know, it's it's a long way back from there. Um, but Richie Port, I still think that they have a they have a card to play with with Richie there. I think they have to play it differently. I think you're absolutely correct in that. In that, yeah, it, it gives them a little bit more freedom, perhaps. Maybe they don't follow him quite as quickly. I mean, I, I'm thinking of, for example, the you know the penultimate stage of the Giro, right, uh, where Ineos was happy to let Caruso go up the road even though he's sitting on the podium, right? Because they knew they had just enough time to basically keep him in control. But still, he goes up, gets a stage win, has those opportunities. I think you're right that Port may get that. That said, I think if you had to ask, if you ask Ineos and their directors what they would prefer, they'd probably prefer that Port was on even time right now, right? So it does, I think it makes it slightly more difficult because he does have that gap still. And and he's not truly threatening until he's given a bit of leeway. So, we'll see on that front. What, what's you know, we're, as you said, Kelly, we're recording straight after the the stage here, so we don't really know yet. We know a lot of writers came down in those crashes. We know a lot of writers were held up, but how many writers are actually, you know, uh, you know, um, unfortunately, there is going to be writers who are who are pretty badly beat up. And you know, UAE did a lot this year to strengthen the team around Pogaccia. Um And we look now; we've got Mark Hirsi finished at eighteen minutes. Mikael Bjerg finished at basically nine minutes. Brandon McNulty at seven minutes. Rui Costa and Rafael Micah at, at five and a half minutes. Have those riders been caught up in crashes? Have, well, they've obviously been caught up in crashes, but have they come down? Does he have the same team around him? If we look at the Umbo Vismas squad as well, like they have three riders that finished at 16 and a half minutes. You know, so are they badly weakened also? I mean, the two crashes, the first one was caused by Tony Martin hitting the lady with the cardboard, right? So you've got Jumbo Visma, the whole team riding together right there. The second one was basically smack dab in the middle of UAE and so took down a whole bunch of their riders. This is kind of the problem with the way that teams ride these days. And I think there was a, was there a secret pro on this a couple of years ago? I can't remember who said it. But basically, because you've got these teams of eight riders, or back in the day, nine riders, all riding together, yes, that can help keep your leaders out of trouble. Yes, it can keep you more organized. But also, if there's a crash near you, you can take out an entire team in one go, right? And that's kind of what happened today. I mean, you had Yumbo, like you said, losing three guys, or having at least three finish you know, well off the time. You had UAE with a whole big, like half the team going down. That is the danger of riding in this manner where you all ride together as a team. If something goes wrong at the front of that, that little crew, you could take out an entire team in, in, in literally one crash. So I think just like everything else, we'll have to kind of keep an eye on it over the next couple of days, see what comes out of some of these injuries. We definitely, you know, there was that, those, those crashes were high enough speed and high enough consequence that I think that more riders will end up pulling out of this race as a result of those two crashes. We just, at this point in time, don't know who those are, who those riders are going to be and what the consequences will be on the race as a whole. All right, that's enough on today's stage. We're going to try to keep these compact. Lots going on tomorrow. Let's drop into two little conversations that, Ronan, you had this morning. Uh, we've got our first episode of Tom's Watch of, of the Tour de France. And we wanted to check in with with Tom Squinch and just see how he's doing. And we kind of know what he wants to do this Tour de France, but we wanted to ask him anyway. And then we're also going to hear from Chris Uliensen, who mostly just asked Ronan if he's there to do some Eversting or something like that. Let's hear from both. Tom Squinch, Trek Segafredo. 
You're uh, clearly a man on form, double national champion now. Uphill finish today, do you think you get a chance to risk for yourself or what's the team tactic today? No chance for myself. Uh, Jasper's looking good. We're going to ride for Jasper pretty much for the stage, so that's easy. Good stuff, well, good plan. Jasper, a man on form as well. Do you think you'll get any opportunities this week or is it very much sort of preparation towards Tokyo? No, for sure. Uh, I'm going to give it a crack a few days. Uh, for sure, I'm going to go also full gas in the TT just because I have the jersey and why not? It's uh, in between some sprint days, so I have time to recover before and after. Uh, test the new bike, test the position, because in Tokyo I'll also do the TT. And the last TT I want to go easy, so uh, got to do one full gas one. Yeah, and you're actually the only rider who will get to wear a national champion's jersey in every stage of this Tour de France. That must be a special feeling. Well, I hope not, but uh, sure. Ah, I'm finished doing that, man. I'm finished Everesting. I hear you're at the Tour de France to prepare for your own Everesting. <laughs> Is this the RTE? No, this it's is cycling tips. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I, no, I won't be doing everything. Just, just no, we just spoke to Luca Mezgat, said the plan today is all for Michael Matthews, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it suits him well. It's going well, and uh, it's, going to be a, it's going to be an interesting fight day one, uh, that's for sure. It's going to be a hard, hard day all day, up and down, and we all know what it what first first stage of the tour means means a lot of stress um, fight for positioning and then uh, yeah the final uh, be no exception it's going to be hectic yeah and, and Michael and both yourself as well you know having grown up in in Ireland and being a Danish rider you're well used to bad weather I suppose we've got good weather today but the forecast all week had been from rain and wind are you disappointed by that or I guess you kind of always welcome better day well you know I'm, I'm a bit like a fish in water when it starts to rain I, you know it's, it's it's just about getting on with it um, but I don't think there's anyone who wishes it to rain from the beginning um, the wind is, is is not strong at all that's going to mean a little bit in terms of uh, the amount of stress in the bunch but it uh, could, could get wet and if it gets wet in the final then it's going to be uh, yeah especially pretty pretty sketchy best of luck today See you, man. All right, it is now time for the part of the podcast I know many of you show up for. We have Jose Bean going to be educating us throughout this Tour de France. So she is going to tell us a little bit about, well, what we should know about tomorrow's stage, where it goes, what we're going to see, what we maybe should eat. Let's listen in. On stage two, we go to Mur de Bretagne, a battleground for the lovers of short, steep hills. The first time this climb was introduced as a stage finish was in 2011, and Cadell Evans won the stage and was second in the GC after that day. But it would take until the time trial on day 20 that the Australian took the yellow jersey and brought it to Paris. Other winners here are Alexis Virmos and in 2018 Dan Martin. And that was also the day Tom Dumoulin suffered a mechanical on the climb, tried to get back behind the car and got fined 20 seconds. He lost a minute and 10 seconds to Geraint Thomas that day. Of the total of 1 minute 51, he was behind the Welshman in Paris. It was the day Tom Dumoulin lost the 2018 Tour de France. The Mur featured for the first time in 1947. It was the first Tour de France after the devastation of the Second World War. The stages went from city to city, a little ride between Brussels and Luxembourg of 314 kilometers, 
from Strasbourg to Besançon, 248 kilometers, and the longest time trial ever in the region we race on stage two this year. It was a whopping 139 kilometers between Vannes and Saint-Brieuc, and it included the Mur de Bretagne. It was stage 19, and René Vietto had taken the yellow jersey on stage two. He lost it after stage 7, got it back on stage 9. So he was on the yellow already 15 days. René had been suffering from an injury from the start of the Tour de France. Those hard iron toe clips they wore back in the day had cut into his toe during Paris-Roubaix earlier that year. And during the Tour de France it became worse and worse. And it eventually cost him the win. After Jean Robic had come back in the general classification after a phenomenal win in the Pyrenees, beating Fietto with a margin of over 10 minutes, Fietto still held a comfortable lead until that time trial on day 19. His septic toe was treated with heaps of penicillin and drugs that probably far from allowed these days, and Fietto lost big in the time trial. He crossed the finish line 14 minutes and 40 seconds behind Belgian Raymond Impanis and 10 minutes behind Robic. The yellow jersey was lost. Fiatot wore the jersey 15 days but didn't bring it to parents. He never did. Jean Robic won that Tour de France on the final day to Paris by taking back 13 minutes in the final stage on yellow jersey Pierre Brambilla. There were no ceremonial parades in that era on the final day. And Fiatot, well, he was inconsolable at the finish. For my country, I wish I would and I could have done it, he said to the press. René Fiatot's toe was eventually amputated. To him, it was marginal gains and he was quoted on French TV as saying, when the surgeon takes something off, I used to tell myself, you'll be lighter on the bike, you'll climb better. And that toe that cost him the overall win in 1947? Well, according to Max Lennart's La Lantaine Rouge book, it's still being kept in a cupboard of a bar in France with the little inscription, Fieto, doigt de pied, or finger of the foot, as the French so poetically call a toe. We talked about stage one, and now, Kaylee, what do we have to know about the course tomorrow? Well, stage two finishes atop the Mur de Bretagne, which is a climb that has found its way into the Tour de France, uh, well, many, many times. We don't need to go over the entire history of it. We kind of know how it usually goes. Uh, it's it's another one for the punchers, for similar style of rider as today. I would expect basically the same set of riders to be up front, perhaps altered slightly by, fingers crossed, no crashes in the final 10K or so. It's another just really hard, lumpy stage, classic, classic kind of stage for this area. 183.5 kilometers. We've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six categorized climbs, two Cat 3s right near the end, and a pile of Cat 4s throughout so expect, well, basically roughly like what we saw today. I can't really see Philippe losing the jersey, particularly because even if someone else takes all the bonus seconds, he got a couple additional seconds today. So he's got a bit of a buffer, but you never know. 
you absolutely never know. Bit of a surprise one the last time on the Murder of Britannia, didn't we? Alexei Villermoz from from AG2R. Um, I don't think we'll see the same tomorrow. I think Al Philippe's going to be trying to strengthen his lead a little bit more. Uh, ahead of the the time trial on stage five and perfect opportunity for him to do so isn't it yeah and, and i think you know like i said same riders as today are really the ones that are that are in the mix vanderpool said he didn't have great legs today maybe they start to come around tomorrow sometimes first stage can be a little bit wonky but he didn't look amazing today like let's be honest it, it, maybe he's just doesn't quite have have the form at the moment in which case we, we look elsewhere. We look at Wout van Aert. Uh, I think even, you know, Roglic, Pogacar, those guys are going to want to steal seconds here and there, and so they will probably be going for it tomorrow. Depending on how how injured he is after crashing today, my, my money's on Woods. He's a punchy, good punchy, sprinty-type climber, and he's going to be pretty upset after today. But he's also been vocal about how he wants to go for stage wins, and that was his original aim. So if he's not injured, then I wouldn't be surprised to see him up there. Yeah, and just to remind everybody, I know we said it earlier in the, in the show, but he's now 8.50. Well, he, he dropped 8.59 today, and so he is now officially a stage hunter at this Tour de France, which if you're looking at tour stages, tomorrow is probably one of the top three for him to really go for victory. It, it suits him quite well. There's a couple really punchy stages later in the race as well, but... Yeah, he'll be 100% going for it. I mean, I just mentioned Vanderpool, but Vanderpool said expressly that he really wants to take a stage win in the first week of the tour. Tomorrow is a, another great opportunity for him. But again, we just don't know where he stands right now. It's really hard, kind of hard to tell. I, I mean, I said this numerous times already, but I think Alaphilippe holds onto that yellow jersey for quite some time. Before we wrap up, I do want to throw to a quick chat that I had with Lachlan Morton. You probably saw the story already today. He's doing his alt tour so he is racing the Tour de France around France along the same route and trying to beat it to Paris. The difference being that he's going to ride the entire thing, including the transfers, which includes like a 700-kilometer transfer from Bordeaux to Paris that the race will fly. He gets to ride. He's basically bikepacking the Tour de France. It's a super cool thing. They're doing it to support uh, World Bicycle Relief, which is fantastic. Anyway, I caught up with Lachlan to ask him about why he's doing this and also the gear that he's using so let's hear from Lachlan hello hey Lachlan this is Kaylee Fretz how are you man good how are you I am excellent you got a couple minutes to chat through your upcoming adventure here yeah. Perfect. Yeah, Perfect. All right, man. Let's um let's start at the beginning. Uh where did this where did this crazy idea come from? Um JV pitched it to me <laughs> and um <laughs> sort of asked if he, if I thought it could be done. And I said, Yeah, I think it could be done. <laughs> and that was um <laughs> that was without really looking at it in really in depth i just kind of had a gut feeling it could be done mm-hmm. um and then looking at it it was you know a pretty huge undertaking um and so i'm actually not really sure it can be done but i'm gonna give it a <laughs> give it a go i mean have you have you sort of done the math since then do you yeah we've crunched a lot of numbers um 
and everything going well, um, I would get there six hours before the race. <laughs> um, but obviously, there's, as you know, so many things that can go wrong um, in three weeks of aggressive bike packing. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna see. So, so the the stats, if uh, if I'm reading these correctly, you're gonna be riding 5,500 kilometers. 5,510 yep. actually, yep. 65,500 meters of climbing. Uh, yep. You have 23 days to do it because the regular Tour de France will have two rest days, obviously. So, you, so you'll do 2,400K longer than the actual Tour de France and yeah. an extra 15,000 meters of vertical gain. <laughs> just just so our <laughs> listeners are aware of what's 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 laying ahead of you here uh yeah. talk how exactly are you going to be doing this is this going to be kind of like your your land's end to john o'groats adventure where you're sleeping for a couple hours every night or what, what exactly is this going to look like um i mean it's it's self-supported in the same um vein so like i'll be carrying uh, everything i need clothing um like a tent a busy um sleeping bag, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, with the idea that I think, like, ideally I'll be getting regular sleep, um, like somewhere between six to eight hours, um, with the exception of probably the first night because I have to start after the race. Um, right. But, yeah, my idea is to sort of shoot for, like, somewhere around 12 hours of ride time each day. Um which, you know, if I do it without too much stopping and, and re- like, relatively efficiently, um, I should be able to, like, sleep, not have to, you know, deprive myself of sleep too much. Um, yeah, and, I mean, it's also, like, when it's three weeks long, you just can't really get away with that, I don't think, you know? Right. Um, so, like, my my setup is a bit more luxurious, <laughs> like sleep wise um plus i've got like a cooker and a few things in to make it um more comfortable right with the idea of like it's got to be quite a bit more sustainable than the other events i've done are you running to sort of like bags attached to to bike i mean i'm assuming you're not going like old school panniers or anything like that right no i've got like a full frame bag and then uh a handlebar roll and then a full um, massive saddlebag. So it's it's quite a lot of stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's it's as minimal as I could go, and it's still quite a lot. I'd like the bike weighs a ton. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a weight on it? Do you know what the total is? I don't. Um, I've only just finished packing it. But from the feel <laughs> of it, like before I've put the water and food, it feels like it's already well over 15 kilos. Um, so I think by the time it's fully loaded down, I'll be pushing 20. (laughs) So you're probably going to sort of like, you need to get ahead of the race at certain points, right? Because I mean, for example, at the end, they're going to fly from near Bordeaux to Paris. Uh, you know, they're going to do it in 90 minutes or an hour and that's going to take, I mean, that's most of France (laughs) that you, that you have to get across. It's like, how far ahead do you feel like you need to be at that point to, to, quote-unquote, win this thing, if we're going to call it that. Um, 
I think I'm going to have to be, I'm going to have to have a couple of days to do that stretch. Um, cause it's 700 K. Um, and yeah, it's going to take me at least, uh, two days to do that. Um, so the idea is to use the, the rest days to push it ahead a bit more. Um, and get like some sort of buffer and then yeah obviously they're going to close in pretty quick with the old plane flyers <laughs> so, um, ideally I, i'll be in paris or very close to paris by the time they get on the plane <laughs> so you're going to be riding sort of the exact race route but then how, like how are you connecting uh, the bits that 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 aren't going to be ridden by the rest of the tour. Like, uh, did you just map those out yourself? Did you? How no, did we had work? some we had some help from um, Bellevue, um, gotcha. because that's a huge job, um, and that was that was one thing I didn't want to do. Um, <laughs> like, pour over all those GBX files. Right. Um, so I've actually had very little to do with that mapping, um, but. They've gone through and, and found, like, to make sure it's all rideable right. uh, as far as, like, not motorways and, and highways. Um, and, yeah, tried to keep the distance to, you know, a minimum without putting on, on highways. Where's the sort of inspiration for this stuff? I mean, you said JV pitched this one to you. Yeah. Uh, but, like, you, you have to want to do this. I mean, you know, yeah. you're not going to do this just because JV told you to, right? I mean, I guess he is technically your boss, but no, no, yeah, I mean, no. but you got to want to do it. It's right up my alley. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. It's it's for me. It's kind of like um, the perfect like marriage of my skill sets, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the writing I've done in the last few years has kind of led to this being like the perfect sort of challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's also like if you go back to the original tour um, and like the way the writers and the event looked then, um, it's going to be a lot closer to what I'm doing than what the the race is. Um, so I'm like a big fan of the sport and the history of the sport. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm really excited to experience that style of riding um and also having to do it you know quite quickly um so yeah i mean that's that's the my personal inspiration you know i like that yeah uh, last thing i want i want to talk a little bit more about the gear cuz i know we got a lot of we got a lot of bikepacking geeks out there that that love this stuff um, yeah. myself included and and so what exactly is the setup? Like what, what bike are you riding? You see, you mentioned that you've got, you know, big frame bag, big, big saddlebag, but what, what, what tires you run in aero bars? What, what, what's it look yeah, like? Yeah. Okay. So I've got, um, I'm just on my Evo like race bike that I regularly use, mm-hmm. um, with 28 mil tires, Victoria courses. Um, uh, but I'm just running tubes, um, just because it's the, most simple in the case of a flat. Right. Um, and they're 55 mil wheels, so pretty fast, pretty <laughs> fast wheel set up. It's um, like not that far off of a, a regular Tour de France race bike as a, as a base. No, I mean, if you took the, if you took the tubes out, 
Um, and the bag's off. I could race the tour on it for sure. Um, and I mean, it is, it's the bike I've been racing on the road for the last month. Um, and then I've got like a full frame bag, um, which was custom built for the, um, for the bike. And that arrived today. <laughs> which, Just in um, time. I, was, I was very glad it fitted in there. Um, so that means I'm running like a, a bladder instead of water bottles. Um, so I can carry a bit more water and uh, also just utilize the space a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my sleep setup is I'm using an air mat, um, and then I've got like uh, a bivy that it has poles, and like you can stake it out, so it actually is kind of more like a one-man tent. Um, and then just a really light sleeping bag and a liner and an inflatable pillow. Um so that's my sleep setup, and it's a full size mat, and like it's, it's quite comfortable. I've been sleeping on the floor of the Airbnb <laughs> on it just to get used to it. It was pretty good. Um, and then I've got just like a, a regular small gas burner um, with a a pot that, yeah, just basically I'll just eat out of that. And then my I've got like a, a down jacket and a, a big rain jacket that goes over that to cover everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take some leg warmers, and then I basically just have like a pair of shorts and a shirt uh, for off the bike. And, yeah, then I've just got like a power bank and a headlight, headlamp and you know, just those little bits and pieces. But right. um, I'm running aero bars, um, mainly just because it, to keep the weight off the hands a bit. Um, it's nice right. to just have like a different position to get into. Um, because I mean, once you throw all the bags and stuff on the bike, there's no, uh, there's no, it's not really cutting through the air. <laughs> 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 Less um, arrow bars and more just, yeah. Like resting bars. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Resting bars. That's a good way to put it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, then I'm just using the Garmin um, 1030S, I think it is, or R. <laughs> I can't remember what the last little letter is, but the new one uh, with the battery lasts forever, so um, that helps. And yeah, I don't know what else. What else do you want to know? I, I think you pretty much covered it there. I, I, I'm I'm curious on the Garmin. Is yeah. it just one massive route? Like is, is it no. or is it broken into like bits there? Like do you do you sort of have places where you want to stop? For example, yeah, yeah, we have yeah. those in the in the GPX files. Um, like basic ideas of like maybe end somewhere around here. Um, it sounds less less intimidating than just turning that thing on and seeing fifty five hundred k. Yeah, left. I also just think <laughs> it would just crash. <laughs> Probably. Um, so yeah, we've broken it into more or less like the stage plus the transfer um, and yeah, see where we get. So for the first week, it's sort of more or less 300 kilometers each day. Um, and then once we hit the mountains, the the distance comes down, but I think the duration is going to be just as, as much, if not more, just because of all the climbing. And when you add the weight, that's where it really slows down. So. Right. And a lot of those stages are kind of 
they kind of uh, they wiggle around a fair amount, like starts and finishes kind of backtrack on each other. And, and I imagine yeah. there's a fair amount of extra riding going on there. Yeah, yeah, um, like quite a bit. Yeah. Well, I'm heading over on the first rest day. I'm going to try to figure out with uh, with your press officer, Matt, where I can like find you. And I'll come find you out there somewhere. <laughs> nice. No, you got to follow the dot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> that's right. I'll know exactly where I. So, so the the um this dot link in front of me. Brief interlude here. I went and checked after my conversation with Lachlan. You can follow his dot at rafa dot cc slash the alt tour. That's rafa dot cc slash the alt tour. T h e a-L-T-T-O-U-R. And it's worth mentioning, and we didn't mention it in the interview, that this whole thing is benefiting World Bicycle Relief, which is amazing. The show notes will have a link to the World Bicycle Relief donation page. That URL is too long for me to read, and Ian Trellor is not around to give that a read for us. Anyway, that's your... That's your dot watching link, rafa.cc slash the alt tour. Now back to the last like 30 seconds of this interview. But yeah, so for our listeners out there, we'll post in the show notes the dot watching uh, URL and you can go follow exactly where Lachlan is, is where, where he is in France <laughs> at any <laughs> given point in time. And yeah. we'll try to find you at some point throughout the the three weeks and you know nice. come say hi come and see if you're come out if you can that would be fantastic <laughs> i'm gonna have a bike so i'll, nice. I'll come do that nice. yeah right, man. <laughs> best of luck <laughs> best right, of mate. luck to you and we'll catch up with you if not sometime during the event then then after so yeah nice one all Hope right to see you out there. cheers man think we should wrap up for today we got another podcast coming at you tomorrow so we'll be back in 24 hours for stage two of the tour de france thanks so much for listening bye everybody voyage bye, bye.